0: One of the most common questions I think I get is, how hard was it to get through prison? Not very hard. The hardest thing for me was being homeless. Like when all your friends are gone, your family's not around, and all you have is a drug addiction, and a needle that goes in your arm and the drugs that take away the feeling that you've been running from for years but by that time for only minutes at a time it seems that was hard feeling hopeless that was hard full of guilt full of shame depressed to the point that committing suicide or not waking up was a daily option, that was hard. And I didn't think I was coming back from that. Before I get started, I'd like this entire room to get a visual of leaving this conference, and as you're driving through the downtown district, you notice a homeless person, and they're drawing water from the gutter. And you say, oh my God, this person's about to use gutter water to shoot a heroin. And what I want you guys to do is visualize where that individual's life started. One of my coaches who's, who's made a, gigantic impact on my life. Every single day he'd make the volleyball team play at lunch. And uh, I got sick of playing at lunch. And so I stopped playing and he kicked me off the team. And before he kicked me off the team, he said, don't you want to be a champion? And I was like, no, I don't. I want you to leave me alone. Like I just want to be normal. And then I realized like that was that was like a big mistake He was uh, an extreme athlete he was far advanced for most kids and the coaches you know pretty much uh, favored him which created more issues than, than it helped I think my first dream was to go to the NBA. By the time I was in sixth grade, the high school coaches were coming to watch me run point guard. Middle school coaches were coming to watch me run point guard. But by the time sixth grade came around, I had started to develop this attitude that I could do and say whatever I wanted and there was no consequences to him. My basketball coach used to make us jump rope. I used to tell myself, this is the stupidest thing ever. But what I didn't realize was, is that my coach was trying to teach me how to be disciplined in things that I didn't want to do. So when I got to do the things I did want to do, I knew how to give it 150% effort. That was the beginning of my behavior shift. Well, I remember wanting to be this cool kid at my school, wanted to be accepted by everybody. So when this girl comes up to me, and she says, I'm looking for some weed. I said, well, I know I could get some weed at. I'll hit this dude up. So I hit this guy up, get the weed, give it to the girl. I give it to the girl. She gets caught. When she gets caught, she tells on me. When she tells on me, I get kicked out of seventh grade for selling weed to this girl. Now, this became a blessing in disguise in my life because this is how I got introduced to the BMX bicycle. By the time I was a sophomore in high school, I reached the expert level. My junior year, signed a three-year contract with Fox Racing. My senior year, I touched down on the BMX Racing Magazine cover, the largest BMX racing publication in the world. My senior year, I was ranked number one in the country. My senior year, everybody would have said, Hoff's gonna be successful. That dude's gonna go off and race BMX. He's gonna be super successful. Don't worry about that guy.
1: So I first met Tony probably 20 years ago at the BMX track. He was just like me. Right? He came from a great family. He was out um, at the BMX track doing the thing that he loved, and there's a lot of people that kind of fall away from the sport, they you're just like, oh my goodness, where did that person go? And uh, eventually Tony was, was one of those people, like, oh my goodness, you, you used to see each other at all of these races or at these for different tracks, and then all of a sudden it was just like, where's Tony Hoffman? I haven't seen him in a long time.
0: What they didn't understand was when I took my helmet off, I wanted to kill myself. When I took my helmet off, I had depression issues. When I took my helmet off, I had anxiety issues. The biggest reason I wanted to kill myself was I didn't like that I was good at sports. That was my gift and I didn't even like it. When I put my gift away, I started going to parties, hanging out with my friends, seeing people smoking weed and drinking, smoking weed and drinking. And I remember telling myself, I'll never smoke weed. I don't need to drink, but I know this, the more I went to parties, the more I wondered. The more I went to parties, the more I
2: wondered. The first time I really felt that Tony was taking the wrong turn in life was at a, a friend's party. We were in the backyard and him and another close friend were uh, discussing drugs. And when I came upon the conversation, um, I wanted to be included, so I started asking questions. And they looked at me and said, what, what do you know about cocaine? At
0: 18 years old, I didn't understand this, that there's a doorway that exists. But when you walk through this door and you step all the way in for drugs, I don't care who you are. You don't get to turn around and walk back out because you think you're done. That's not the way it works. My friend calls me and he says, hey bro, I got this pill. We need to try this pill. I said, what is it? He said, it's called Oxycontin. He said, you want to split one with me? I said, yeah. I'll split one with you. Soon as I tried this Oxycon, my depression went away. Soon as I tried this Oxycontin, my suicidal thoughts went away. And immediately I started telling myself, why don't the doctors just give me this? This is what fixes me. I think I finally feel what everybody else feels now and that's normal. Immediately I developed a coping mechanism that took away the struggles I was having on the inside and I couldn't stop
2: the craving from needing this drug. Tony and I had lost contact for about three years. And during that time, I had the mindset that no news was good news, because everything I heard was progressively worse and worse. My thoughts on Tony were that he's either going to end up dead or in jail. Those were the only two options that his lifestyle was leading him.
0: When you're going through withdrawals, you will do whatever it takes to stop him.
3: Wouldn't have ever pictured Tony to do something like that.
0: I start withdrawing. I told my code Finna, let's go rob this person.
3: To even have a gun, go in someone's home.
0: I see a lady sitting down at the kitchen table. I put the gun on her face and told her, get up right now. I want all the Oxycontin inside this house right now, get up when I see my car pull up I remember thinking this is the perfect robbery there's no way we're getting caught we were in and out of this house in under two minutes but I know when I opened up the passenger side door of that car and I sat down I had the first time a spiritual experience where I felt like God was talking to me and he said you made the biggest mistake of your entire life and you're gonna pay for this one
3: that's where we had lost him again didn't know where he was until we received a letter in the mail Um, asking us to come and visit him.
0: They gave me one strike on my record, 90 days in a treatment center, rehab, and five years felony probation. Well, my friend gets in a fight at this party and I ended up knocking this guy's tooth out in this fight. And two weeks later, I had an infection up in my bicep. I drive to the hospital in the middle of the night. They sent me home with a Vicodin prescription. My mom says, I'm gonna give you these pills, one pill every four hours, just like the bottle says, because you're a drug addict. My mind said, wait for your mom to leave the keys out, steal the keys, open up the closet, and steal that Vicodin prescription and leave. So I walked out of my room at midnight, I walked to the closet, I reached to the top, I grabbed this Vicodin bottle, I turned around, I set the alarm off to my family's house at midnight, and I ran down the street. I had no idea where I was going to go or what I was going to do. The only thing I know is that my mind said I needed those pills and I had to get them. And for the next two years, my life would spiral out of control. Normally this right here is all filled with people with tents and homeless people living. And by the time I was using, using the needle, I couldn't afford the pills anymore and I got hooked in heroin, this is where I ended up, right over here. This is right over here, man. There was a guy right underneath that bridge back there that came every single morning, like clockwork, and you could buy dope from him. And I got got shown that, and when I got shown that, it was like a new way, it was like a new life to my addiction, to be able to buy this dope that for 10 bucks would get me the same thing that 20 to 40 bucks would get me with the pills. And it was just, you know, over here you're, you're, you're risking a lot because it's dog eat dog. You know, if these people don't like you, they're just gonna get you and take you out. If my life hadn't cleaned up, this is where I was gonna live until I died, that's for sure.
3: as an addict, as an alcoholic. You have to live on the edge of death before you can see life.
0: I had two pills, a lighter, a spoon, a needle, that sleeping bag, clothes on my body, shoes on my feet. And I knew that within one hour, I was going to have to use those pills and then probably within about an hour after that I was going to start withdrawing and I didn't have any money on me. I lost all my friends, my family had given up on me. I would never felt so alone in my entire life. I wanted to stop so bad I didn't know how. I told myself you're going to die soon. On January 21st, 2007, I had a spiritual experience that changed my life. On January 22nd, I was arrested in a home that was up for rent. 30 days later, I was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. I didn't choose to be an addict. There's people in the world that say, oh, he chose that. I didn't wanna be homeless. But accepting that I was an addict was probably the greatest decision I ever made because I stopped seeing my addiction as something that was holding me back, but something that wanted to push me forward. I was just like curious,
1: like what happens next? Is, is that the story of his life? Is, is that the end? Um, I didn't really think that uh, there would be a redemption story.
0: I remember when I got to prison and I looked up at the ceiling and I read these words. It said, be careful what you think, because your thoughts become your words. Be careful what you say, because your words become your actions. Be careful what you do, because your actions become your habits. Be careful what you make a habit, because your habits become your character. And your character becomes your destiny. And I kept reading it over and over and over and over. It was making so much sense to me. I told myself, if this is the blueprint of what has almost killed me and destroyed my life and made me unsuccessful, then this is the quote that's gonna be the blueprint that makes me successful. If there's somebody in here that's listening to me speak and they're telling themselves, I'm gonna change, I need to change this stuff about me. or if there's somebody in here that's listening to me and you got a dream or a goal or a direction you're trying to take your life, don't miss this part of my story. What if you're supposed to lose everything in the moment and feel hopeless, Mm -hmm. feel out of control and lost to get you to the place that you're supposed to be?
3: That's the whole idea. Sometimes we have to. Sometimes you have to lose everything to gain something. And uh, so we definitely did, brother. We were two guys who had been there, me a lot longer than Tony because I was a lot older. But there was a thirst to uh, help others. And he used to come to the bench I used to study. I used to have it all laid out, and I was studying the Bible. And he would come by and ask me questions about the Bible. Then he asked me, could he study with me? And I told him, no, I study alone. But this guy was persistent. He came day after day. And so one day God told me, get up, go get him off his bunk. And I said, come on, but if you're gonna study with me, you have to study for hours and you have to be serious. Well, this guy was always serious. He was one of them guys that uh, if he said something, he met it. I've never seen a person selflessly
0: give themselves the way he did to me. He did it because I truly believe he saw something in myself and my willingness to learn, and he poured into that, and because he poured into that, I am who I am today.
3: He was definitely dedicated to what needed to be done.
0: Everybody's turning point is different in life. For some, it might be treatment. For others, it might be incarceration. For me, it started in a prison cell. You know what I'm saying, when I was in prison, I told myself, you are in the best place you've ever been in your entire life. I remember I sat at the corner of the yard at Hatchby State Prison, and I said, you are in a top secret training grounds right now, preparing to get on your bicycle to race professionally, preparing to become a public speaker, preparing to go to the Olympics, preparing to start a nonprofit organization for kids. Said it all when I was in there, and I said, this is the first step to you getting there. But I didn't know how I was gonna go from a prison cell to the Olympics. But I learned this really valuable life lesson. If you could be trusted with little, you'll be trusted with much. And so I told myself, I need to learn how to do a lot of insignificant things that people think aren't that big of a deal, like brushing your teeth, but they're actually a really big deal. It depends on how you look at them. So I told myself, I'm gonna learn how to brush my teeth, but I'm gonna treat brushing my teeth like it's going to the Olympics. Then I learned how to make my bed, and I told myself while I was making my bed, I'm going to the Olympics. Then I learned how to organize my stuff, and every day I started organizing my stuff, I told myself I'm going to the Olympics. Every single day I started doing these things, then I started learning how to train hard physically, training for BMX, even though I wasn't going to get to touch my bike for two years. And then people started making fun of me. This cop called me into the office one time. She says, hey, we hear when you get out of here, you're going to race BMX, and you're going to the Olympics.
3: A guard comes up and taps me on the shoulder and she said um you're tony's mother i see you come and visit and i said yes she said who's going to tell him that he's not going to make it to the olympics and i said not me if my son said he's going to train and go to the olympics he'll be there
0: whatever direction you take Somebody's going to tell you you can't get to where you want to go. Somebody's going to make fun of your gift. Somebody's going to make fun of your dream. So if you stop doing what you're good at, or you stop going after your dream because of somebody else's opinion right now, when it all starts happening, the direction that you decide to take after that, you're going to get met by somebody else that tells you you can't do what you want to do or makes fun of your dream. So you might as well go after what you're gifted at because you're going to get it in life. And that's exactly what I did. I pro prison December 13, 2008. I meet my parole officer on December 15th, 2008. He says, what are you gonna do? I said, I've been training for the Olympics for the last two years. And in five months, I'm gonna race my first professional BMX race I've ever raced in my life. And he said, who brought you here? I said, my mom did. He said, where's she at? I met Tony's mom and I let her know that I thought that Tony was absolutely full of shit. He had an opportunity to continue to empower me, and he didn't take it. And he should have, because five months later, I raced my first professional BMX race I'd ever raced in my life. I took third place. That first year, I won five races at the lower pro division. One year, after being back on my bicycle, I picked up my microphone. When I started seeking out agents in 2012, they said, nobody will ever listen to you. In 2019, I'm gonna do about 215 days on the road. As Soon as I get done here, I'm going to Ohio. As Soon as I get done in Ohio, I'm going to Texas. As Soon as I get done in Dallas, Texas, I'm going to Houston. And in 2016, in July, I got a phone call from my top female athlete, Brooke Crane. She said, pack your bags, Hoff. You're going to the Olympics. I made the Olympic team not as an athlete, as a coach. I remember when I get to the BMX venue, I started crying. I started crying because I was overwhelmed with gratitude. And so for my life today, I have the community's weight on my shoulders. I carry it over 200 days a year on the road, living on airplanes, living in hotels, giving speeches. And I think that what I'm doing is paying forward what was done to me. T gave me his life, and now I decided to give the world my life. I think it's important to understand that it doesn't matter how low your life gets. There is a turning point, but it's a decision you have to make and a commitment that you have to hold. But it's important to me to take what I've learned in my life and give it to other people, because it not only keeps me sober, but it inspires other people to make changes in their life too.
2: The first step is to ask for help. My drug abuse lasted 16 years and Through those 16 years, I I was looking for someone to show me the way. And once I made that commitment myself, I needed that helping hand. And that was exactly what Tony was.
3: You got to surround yourself with people that's pointing in the same direction that wants to change. I was learning just as much from him as he was from me. And I think we helped each other get to a point that we are right at now in our lives. It just wasn't a, a friendship, Tony became a bond. He became like my little brother. Him and our family, his parents are still close today. And uh, I'm very proud of what he's become.
0: Today, Tony has become a man that I'm uh, very proud to call my son, bottom
3: line. The stuff that he does, the people he helps, it's nonstop. I see the growth in him to this point now. And uh, it's a wonderful thing.
1: Tony Hoffman is nothing short of remarkable to me. and. You know, Even though he's, he's just a person, it's everybody's just a person, and everything at, at one time was impossible until somebody did it, and he was one of those people
0: who did it. From the time that I was in prison until the moment I'm living in now, what I did was I built a group of support. People that gave me a phone to call when I needed to call somebody. They gave me a couch when I needed to sleep somewhere they offer me a word of advice when i'm going through something it's kind of like american addiction centers do they create a community of support around you to offer you the help that you need if we don't reach these people with compassion and empathy i guarantee you this we will never connect with them and make them feel connected and make them feel purpose and make them feel hope our job is to show up every single day for these individuals and empower them make them feel cared for, and make them feel capable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. when it all has come to like come together to this point which is still I'm not where I want to be like no I don't think I ever saw myself getting here but I don't think I actually really saw like this happening I just believed it could and did the work